0: The Judo Chop Suey podcast is presented by You Are My Sunshine Boutique. If you're living in an area where they require you to wear a face mask, and you don't know where to get one, but you want something that's a little bit more stylish and not one of those typical, you know, blue face masks, and you're not sure which way to wear it or whatever the case may be, go to etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash you are my sunshine boutique. That's you are my sunshine b-o-t-i-q-u-e and if you use the promo code judochop or coupon code whatever they call it you will get 30 percent off of your order if you need to buy a face mask and that's where you can get face masks you can go to my sunshine you are my sunshine boutique and you can get face masks and you can support the podcast that way that is my side business i've talked about it before my wife has been doing a lot of hard work with that and And she doesn't have one negative review on her site. Every review is a five-star review because she's a five-star woman. What can I say? I will have the link uh, to the site on my show notes. And again, use the coupon code judochop if you want to receive a 30% discount on your order. That's www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash you are my sunshine boutique. The the letters U, the letter R, my sunshine boutique. B-O-T-I-Q-U-E. And yes, I know it's spelt wrong, but I didn't create the URL. Greetings and salutations, everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop sweet Podcast, and I'm your host. Judo Dave Roman. It's great to be back behind the microphone once again, just a couple of weeks after the release of my last episode, which is ideally where I'd like to be every two-week release cycle. But as as I've mentioned before, my previous episode, I've been super busy. Things have slowed down just a little bit for me. So I've been able to find some time in the mornings and, and late in the evening to do some recording. Plus having material you know, well in advance is, is very helpful for me because on this episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast, I'm going to have part two of my interview with Tabrin Lee. And if you haven't listened to part one, I would suggest that you do that because on that episode, um, I'm talking to Tabrin Lee, who is a police officer for the Los Angeles Police Department, a Judo black belt, a, Braz- a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And we will be discussing, you you know, Team USA being able to get uh, better athletes representing the sport of judo and and how we we may be able to go about that. So if you haven't listened to part one, I would suggest you do that so that, you know, it doesn't seem like you're just jumping in in the middle of a conversation. But I think the way that I split up the interview, I don't think you'll be too lost. I think you'll be able to to jump right in and and kind of get an idea of what we're talking about uh considering where I ended at the end, the interview in the previous episode. So hopefully I would suggest you listen to part 1, but if you don't, uh that's okay cuz I don't think you'll be too lost. I am also a little bit later on in this episode going to talk about uh judo and brazilian jiu-jitsu and really all of martial arts post pandemic what that might look like and um I obviously have opinions on that, and if I'm being quite honest, I'm not sure a lot of you are going to like what I have to say, but I don't think I'm the only one that has these concerns. I'm just putting them out there publicly. But in the meantime, I've been still practicing Judo. I've been practicing with my son, just Nawaza, and it's been really great for me to be able to get back to practicing some of the basics. So, for example like uh probably about a week ago or so i was practicing uh just uh juji uh juji katame from from guard from the bottom and that's a technique i have been able to do that you know for for at least you know 14 years i mean i i learned it so long ago but i'm a big proponent of practicing and reinforcing the basics and i decided to pick up uh you know uh juji katame from guard simply because you know, when I look, when I think about it, I've probably practiced that technique only may, maybe a hundred times over the past fourteen years. It's not, it's not a go-to technique for me. Usually, when I'm on the bottom, I don't really look for submissions from the bottom. I I, I try and and get a sweep. I prefer getting a sweep. And you know, the thing is, a lot of this kind of comes down to my. Obvious, my obvious background in judo uh, you know everything in judo is about top position it doesn't mean that there's no such thing as submissions for off your back but that's not a game that I typically play uh that's that's not a um it's it's not something that comes naturally to me I I, I I've had to work on it you know I I've always had I mean don't get me wrong I've always had submissions off my back and such but my typical approach is to get the sweep first and then get top position. I just, I like it better. I've I've had some bad experiences with people stacking me. And yeah, I know how to deal with people stacking me. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't like being in that position where I'm smashed by anybody from, from any position, even if it's not an advantageous position for them. So somebody you know somebody in my guard you know they they get up and start stacking me on my neck I I don't like that I don't think anybody does but I really don't like that and and you know I always take precautions uh when it comes to doing these sports so really for me the best precaution for me is is to is not, not to be defensive but I'm I'm always looking for the sweep I'm that's just typically what I do so armbar from guard is not something that I typically practice a lot other than when we practice, you know, in a classroom setting. So when we're doing some rolling or, or Nawaza, randori or anything, I, I, I don't go for it much. But this time around with my son, I decided to really work it. And I picked up some, some really good details from a, of a, a, a John Donaher video. And I, I gotta tell you, that guy's a really good instructor. I'm sure some of you Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guys out there are are thinking to yourself, yeah, no kidding. But I don't, you know, I don't know a lot of the the big names in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I take it that Donaher is one of them, considering that he's uh Travis Stevens' coach. But man, he's really excellent. And and the reason why I think he's excellent is because he can spend it and, and maybe he's just a a jipper jabber, you know, somebody that talks a lot, but he can spend 15 20 minutes just teaching a uh uh the basics of armbar from guard and that those kind of videos i i really uh prefer because when i watch judo videos online or even some brazilian jiu-jitsu videos online a lot of times i find myself looking for the things in these videos that aren't spoken which by the way is why i think uh the video series put out by Neil Adams, gosh, almost two years ago now, uh, Tayatoshi The Ultimate Store, uh, Study, I think that's an excellent series on a single throw because a, a lot of videos out there, they may spend anywhere between three and seven minutes explaining a throw, but a lot of times it's just the basics of the throw, the the generic principles of the throw and maybe not going into really great detail. Uh, but but i was watching this disarm bar from guard for, uh, from john Donaher and it was like a 15 to 16 minute video and and i love that stuff i i could i could watch that stuff all day because it's just the the, the little nuances that make techniques work that oftentimes aren't covered in a video or in an actual class and that's not a criticism of my instructors it's just in a classroom setting you know, if you've got an hour or an hour and a half, they can't spend 20 minutes covering a single technique because that's just not really the way the classes are, are are formatted. Now, you you know, when I was coming up through the judo ranks and and with my main coach for many years, we would spend um a month on a single technique, getting all the variations down, getting all the the basics down. So it's probably you know my preference for longer videos on explanation of, of the finest of, of details is, is preferable to me probably because of my experiences, uh, my experiences with my coach. And you know a lot of times when it comes to any technique, people tend to look for the, 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 the major movements and, and, and maybe not pay attention as much to the minor movements, but the minor movements to me, uh, when I'm trying to learn something are just as critical. So yeah, it's been it's been great working with my son. He's he's back home now with his mother, so I won't have a training partner for the next uh, week or two at least, which is unfortunate. And I'm not gonna drag my wife up here because I I lay out some mats. Uh, I got puzzle mats at home, so I lay them out just in my little small space up here, my little man cave, just a tiny. Space, kind of, I, I think um, when I put two mats together, it's 80 inches long, 40 inches wide. That, that's just enough for me to do some basic drilling. Um, actually, no, I, it's it's 80 by 80. So that's six and a half feet by six and a half feet. And for you people in other countries, that's approximately, let's see if I can get the math here right. Ah, uh, screw it. I had to use a calculator. It's um, 203 centimeters by 203 centimeters. That's uh, helpful. All right. Well, that's enough of that. I'm going to bring Tabrin back onto the Judo Chop Suey podcast. This will be part two of our interview. And just to give you a little context, this conversation where we're going to break into here, we're going to springboard from the topic of perhaps getting uh, athletes from other sports to cross train with judo. So that's that's kind of the context of where part two is going to start. So uh, here's part two. Why is it that that we can't seem to go there? Is it is it a do you think it's a matter of pride? Is it is it just not knowing or not really having the right people in place to make those decisions? And I'm not being any critical of anybody at USA Judo. I'm not. I'm just just I'm just spitballing here. You know. I say
1: it's a little bit of both. You know. I mean, I I, I I'll, I'll lean on the side of maybe no one's just thought of it. You know, maybe this conversation we're having, people might start to look at – it might spark those brain juices to get the flowing. like, man, wait, yeah, we do have – you know, look at a middle linebacker that maybe he got an injury where the NFL won't pick him up. But you teach this guy a Soto Gari, a Kochi Gari, a Uchi Mata, and next thing, you know, he's flopping Teddy Renner around because he's trained way harder than him, you know, because he's already an athlete.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know (sighs) – one of the things that, and I, I completely agree with you. I, I don't think, in in general, in the United States, we are getting our best athletes in in Team USA. I, I, I don't think we are. And I, I'll, I'll give you a, just a little anecdote, real quick. We got a guy at my at my jujitsu club, which is which is one. It's a it's there's a judo and jujitsu club. It's really Ebor City Jitsu, but we do have a judo club there, and we we have this fellow who actually used to play in the NFL. I know i brought up, uh, I've talked about him briefly on the podcast before he ended up, um, I think last year or, or winning the, the um, world championships for blue belt in, I can't remember if it was just Guy or just no Guy, or if he did it in both. I think he did it in both, but, but the guy is, is a, is a freakish athlete. He's, he's like 31, 32 years old. So he, he started, from, from a jujitsu jitsu standpoint, he started later than m- maybe a lot of, uh, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds. But the guy was a world-class athlete. Anybody that plays at the highest levels of any sport is world-class. And I, I contend, it, it's crazy as this may sound to some of the traditionalists out there. If he showed up at the USA uh, senior, Judo Senior Nationals in, in, the, uh, in the plus 100 kilo division, he probably would have won it as as a yellow belt because, because he just, as an athlete, you, you, we don't, you don't, until you've been there and really seen it for yourself, like, you know, you know, we don't have these athletes competing in judo as, as you know, in, in most clubs, like maybe, maybe team USA, most, most of them or maybe all of them are high, the highest level of athletes. Maybe, I don't know, but. But by and large, we're not getting great athletes in judo as a whole. I don't, I don't think we are. And, and it's got to be a means to, to to get these guys somehow because not all of them make it to the NFL or the NBA or, or even the D League, for example.
1: And I see your point because, you know, food for thought. All right, If you're going to make it to Olympics being United States judo, you're probably going to go train with Jimmy Pedro, right? Right. And if you look at another sport, Florida has good programs for other sports. California. Wyoming has great sports programs. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say Rulon Gardner. Rulon Gardner. Wasn't he from Wyoming?
0: I think so. Wyoming or Montana, I believe. One, well, yeah, one, one of, of those two, right? Yeah. Exactly.
1: Okay. This guy beat the meanest Russian of all time, right?
0: Yeah, Just Carolyn, total, right?
1: Yeah, total upset, Right. And I just said, he's from Wyoming or Montana, okay, For wrestling. Now, we all know Midwestern states, they're phenomenal wrestlers, okay? But my point is, in judo, you have to go somewhere else. You got to go pick one program, one coach, because we lack it in every state, you know? But if I play football or basketball, I could be fine in the state I'm in, you know? Now, if I get picked up by a university to go like play for New York or something, okay, but I probably have some of the same options you know on the West Coast, you know because so, those programs are established, you know
0: so we so we're talking about establishing programs, you need you need coaching. I mean what do you think is missing when it comes to coach? because we we clearly don't have enough coaches that get athletes to compete at the highest levels. I'll well, you...
1: tell you this. I I I think this. When you say coaching, there needs to be different divide. Here's the problem. We so judo's a sport, but it's a martial art too, right? Right. And we we tow the line a lot with that martial art side of it, you know. Right. But when it's a sport. You can't necessarily do that. If you look at all the guys who are Olympians, they treated it as a sport okay to get to where they were you know but most our clubs because you know oh well you're not a a black belt don't tell anyone what to do don't help them coach you know so it takes forever for you to become a coach which you spoke about this on your podcast you know right right well if you're look i'm grassroots you're grassroots like you said if i'm in the middle of nowhere and I just have this love. Like I, my wrestling coach, for example, he never wrestled. I always tell people this story. He was a football coach, played semi pro football, but he learned the sport and he went to coaching clinics. They had him. Von Hitchcock Camps, that's where he learned. He went to every coaching clinic, became a certified coach, even though he never did that sport, but he was an athletic coach. Coach football, right. he can coach any sport, okay? I'm sure there's tons of guys out in this country like that, you know, where if they, but we don't have that available for them. And being that we need to grow it, I think we got to look outside the box like that. Cause the problem is, Oh, well you're not from judo and all that. Well, you know what? As long as you say that it's going to keep that box smaller and smaller, you know?
0: Yeah. Because, go ahead. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there because I mean, I I say this all the time that that it um. It takes it takes most people far longer to earn a black belt or at least earn the rank to be able to. Which I think I can't remember if in, in USA Judo it's EQ you can you can start coaching. Yeah, um, yeah. Or at least maybe be a, a a regional coach at best at EQ. Yeah. I mean that that takes most most people. It takes at least five years to get to EQ, and it's like. You, you can earn And that's what I'm saying, degree. you know. You could earn a bachelor's degree in less time.
1: Exactly. So let's say this. Here's, here's a possible solution, okay? You're only going to coach kids 6 to 12. Right. You need to be an ex-world champion or something like that, you know? I mean, you just got a little club. You're trying to grow it. You know, you notice these kids, they're goofing off in school. They have no attention. They have no respect. They can't do this. They can't do that. And you need something. You know, and lo and behold, you got a church that has some mats in it. Oh, wow. You heard about this thing called judo. Right. How can I get these kids in it? Because there is not a true judoka for miles, for 50 miles. How do me, a motivated Joe American citizen, start a judo program? Is that even possible? And if it's not possible, you see the problem?
0: It's not possible right now. I think there's there might be one like literally one or two judo clubs in the entire state of, of Idaho, uh, I I think, or, or like Montana, there might be one judo club in Montana, but if if somebody wanted to, to, to grow a program there, you would need to have some black belt right the way it is right now. You'd need to have at least a black belt or somebody move out to Montana to start a program instead of somebody that, you know, maybe, have maybe done judo as a kid you know 20 years ago maybe he only got a green belt or whatever maybe he gets interested in 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 starting a program out in montana or idaho but he can't because he doesn't have enough rank and he doesn't have this and he doesn't have that and he's got to do this and he's got to fly to california or to miami you know it there's so many obstacles for somebody to become a coach uh within judo and i i i think that hurts the sport now now jiu jitsu is a little bit different because they've got the numbers, you know, so they can, well, they can do, they can still maintain, you know, a, a way of, of progress and, and coaching and stuff that. Uh, well,
1: there's still places for jujitsu guys where there's blue belts coaching because they don't have enough, you know, people with rank Cause there's still remote places for jujitsu, but culturally it's different. It's more accepted, you know, and they don't even accepted. have to get a coaching certificate for this. You know, they just like, Hey, you're a blue belt. Yeah. Okay. You know what the arm bar is. You know what a triangle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I need a training partner, so we end up training. Next thing you know, you got twelve people you're teaching, and that wasn't even what you had in mind. You know.
0: Yeah. And- uh, right. Actually, I, I know two people that one one fellow. Um, he's a listener of the podcast. I he's out in um, in, in Wisconsin. I I believe he started his his club as a as a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I knew a guy. Locally, right here in my hometown, who had a, uh, an after school program for, for, gosh, well over 10 years. And he was only a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And he had, he, he had the after school program and he taught uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to whoever wanted to learn. And, and that's how he made his living for a long time until he closed shop and became a, uh, a house cleaner with his wife. But <laughs> this guy, and the funny thing is, this guy is a uh, four stripe uh, brown belt now. And he quit jujitsu. He hasn't done it since. He was like right there. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, you you are right about that. Is that there's there's less um, there's there's less uh really uh, requirements to be able to teach jujitsu. This guy just he had an after school program and he was very successful. And it, it seems like, I don't know, if some if somebody that wasn't a black belt wanted to start a judo program, they 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 would be. You you know, it seems like there would be a lot of red tape.
1: And, you know, to be fair with the judo organizations of our country, a lot of it has to do with their insurance and being affiliated with them, you know, where you don't have that in jujitsu, you know. So I'm not going to say that's a good or bad thing because, you know, hey, you want to be covered, you know, and I want to say a lot of it has to do with that from the knowledge of me asking questions to the various organizations like, hey how can you do this? Because like you asked me, uh, before I got the coaches I got, I was looking at like getting some brown belts or whoever wanted to coach, you know, because I need, these programs are needed, you know, pal needs coaches. And so my mission is just like, Hey, okay. I don't need, like I said, I don't need Olympians. I just need people who got patience, who can coach, who um, think outside the box. And, they're just going to, you know, run an athletic program for these kids and give them some good life values. So give how them do you something to strive for? You know, how do
0: you think uh, USA Wrestling does it? I mean, what's what's ultimate? What is the fundamental difference between, apart from the sports themselves, between USA Wrestling and say USA Judo? What, what's I mean, don't wouldn't they have the same insurance issues? But but yet you you told me your coach never wrestled a day in his life, and and he learned how to how to coach wrestling.
1: So USA wrestling and then um, high school wrestling is a little different. Okay. You know, in a sense, because um, USA wrestling is an NGB, just like USA judo. Right. Right. So the NGBs fall under different guidelines. Uh, schools fall under different guidelines, but you know, give you an example. Cause um, for high school, they want like, I got offered at one of our local high schools to coach wrestling in the area where I don't have time to do it, but their program keeps falling off because they can't keep a coach, you know? And for this high school, they're like, you got wrestling experience. Hey, as long as you pass a background check and some other things, you can coach because they know that, okay, I just need you to coach, you know? Coaching means motivating others, bringing out the best in others. That is all it is. I think programs that try and make it something more, they're stepping on their own toes
0: now now something more in in what way just kind of curious
1: um well like what we were just talking about when you add the belts and all that um martial madness let's say
0: yeah yeah
1: something you know cuz i mean look if a high school said hey judo dave i want you to start a judo program let's just say you were a yellow belt right but you love judo how you you feel the same way about judo Regardless of your rank, right? Right. And they gave you the opportunity. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna take it, or are you gonna say, "No, I can't. I, you know, I am not the right person." And it's just a high school. Sure. They got kids ready to go. They're gonna purchase the mats, and they just need a coach who can be there on time, coach the days needed, and make sure he coaches at the tournaments. Right. Does that require someone with a high belt or a dedicated human being that's gonna um care about their program and follow through their program
0: yeah well just you just you need the right person that cares about the program of course you know it's
1: and that's what i do with like you know any activity we do with like pal that's what we look for for example we have a big soccer program we got our own league actually right and our coaches are a lot of the parents of the kids in the program okay because we can't we got to get who we can get as long as they can pass our background and all that type of stuff. We're good. We uh, set them up with training with USA soccer and we get them going because grassroots to me is introducing these kids. The, the sport is just a tool, you know, Sure, it's just a tool to show them that they can be whatever they want to be in life. You know, we're teaching them life skills, great citizenship, this tool which happens to be a sport right right. you know and I think if you have that mission and you always look at that first this is just a mere tool now if this kid (laughs) goes off to be college and be something great hey you can have a satisfaction that you know what you influence his life at that point in time you know absolutely and hopefully you influence more than just that one And I think that's the problem we have in a lot of sports where they get so, this is supposed to be my one. Look, if I teach 5,000 kids before I die, well, number wise, you know, I might have two or three that do something great in whatever sport it is, you know? So why not focus on trying to get as many kids involved in this rather than focus on this one who I think is the one who can make it, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I I I completely I, I hear you there. Now, along those lines, and I, I want to kind of circle back to, you know, we were talking earlier about some of the differences with judo and Brazilian jiu jitsu. Where do you feel adults fall into that spectrum there? It, 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 because because one of the one of the reasons why I started the podcast is because I'm just a uh, I'm just a guy that that's a, 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 a loves doing judo and a th- enthusiast, but I I feel, you know, I feel like sometimes the the uh, adults are are not as important in judo as they are in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Like, where do you think? Uh, where, where do you for for from your point of view, where do you think adults fit in to kind of that spectrum of of coaching and and really just. Because I, I when I think about grassroots, it's not, for me. It's not just about kids. It's kids and adults, and getting adults in as well. Because I think, I think judo is tremendous. Where I think we're losing the demographic, of of the eighteen to twenty, uh, uh, eighteen to forty years old. Uh, we're, we're uh, I,
1: I can say them. I agree They're with important.
0: you. are important. It's an important demographic to me. That's why I do the podcast because I wanna, I, I wanna be able to to, to speak to those people. Cause I, I, you know, I don't do the podcast for the kids. I, I do it for the adults and, you know, I I'm trying to speak to, you know, you know, kind of not be a voice for adults per se, but, but kind of started saying, Hey, you know, I still matter. I still like taking falls and, 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 you know, throwing people. So we're, we're for, for yourself, where do you think adults fit into, to all of that?
1: What's interesting points you have there, right? Because if you look at BJJ and you look at most of the tournaments, most of the tournaments are geared towards adults. Absolutely. And I think there's more adults competing, which makes sense because those are the ones paying for the classes because we both know BJJ is a lot more expensive than most judo clubs, you know? Right. And they do a good job because I think they recognize, well, if I have a kid, his parent is paying. I want to have the parent and the kid, you know? And the focus, they just, you know, they did something right. And I think what judo would have to do is just, I've said this to you on a phone conversation. I think IJF judo is the wrong judo for America. Not saying there's anything wrong with IJF judo. But right. for grassroots for adults, guys should be able to go in there and just have fun, you know? And, The excuse I always hear with guys, they're scared of takedowns. That's why they go do BJJ. Well, if you let guys do leg grabs, you would minimize some of the larger throws, you know. You could work on some of these smaller throws, some of the throws like, you know, I learned judo with the leg grabs. Yeah. Look, if you got a 50-year-old coming in who's in decent shape, you know, and he's like, I still want to compete and stuff like that. You're right. We don't have that same opportunity like BJJ will have. I don't know if you've ever been to the um, World Masters tournament in Las Vegas.
0: I have not. I I, I did the first one. Yeah, yeah.
1: I competed, it was their second World Masters in 2011, okay? And that tournament has only grown. They have like 5,000 competitors. When I say Masters, this is guys over 30 years old
0: yeah yeah right right and this is so, you're talking brazilian jiu-jitsu correct yes okay yes
1: yeah. right and it, the interesting the only reason i'm bringing that up those are a lot of the old school guys guys i came up with and stuff and they still do takedowns and whatnot you know and judo could have the same but i think like you said it's so focused on only the kids although i'm not trying to uh, shoot myself in the foot because i work for kids that's my thing
0: no 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 of course of course <laughs>
1: But for adults, yeah, they need to have something, you know, because ideally, if a parent's bringing a child, why not get that mom or dad on the mat, you know? I think judo's great for mothers, sisters, you know? It's great. It's one of the best self-defense, in my opinion, because you walk around standing up.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: knowing about balance and off balance and reaction, judo has the best reaction, in my opinion. Okay, when you learn ashiwaza, which is what makes judo judo, in my opinion, man, talk about self defense and awareness. You have to know timing, you have to be aware of what's going on to get your ashiwaza down, and that's something that judo has over any martial art, in my opinion, which makes it very. And then, listen, here's the truth if it wasn't any judo, there'd never be any BJJ. That is the truth. I know a lot of guys don't like it, but it's a truth, and mm-hmm. a lot of guys. They pay homage to it, you know? And the good thing they did, they evolved where judo's not evolving in a sense of that. Like, judo in France is judo in uh, France. Judo here needs to cater to the market here, you know? Right, right. And if the market here says we need to do it a different way where it doesn't appear to be so dangerous or so hard on my body, well then there's nothing wrong with a Nawaza class for older adults. It's still judo. It's still you know?
0: judo. I I I, I agree. I mean, I mean I don't see I don't see why judo, you know, can't even, can't market itself in in a way where you know, you you start from the ground up in a way.
1: Mhm. Or even if you're just starting from the standing, you know, you teach angle picks, you know? Yeah. You, you teach marote gari some simple stuff for this guy who is not thinking about competing for the next three years, you know, but he wants to come and do self-defense, you know, or you have a self-defense based class from judo. Right. And then you, you warm them up into all of it. But I mean, right now, to be honest, we're not using judo for all of what it could be. You know, when you take away moves and stuff, you're limiting what it actually is. You know, there are strikes in judo. How many clubs do strikes? You know,
0: my fir- my There's very so first much. one, we we di- we did practice. I mean, not against each other, but we actually did practice the temiwaza in the very first club that I was ever a part of. The guy was a, 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 a an old school traditionalist judo guy, r- old guy. He's since passed on, but um, but yeah, it's very very rare for a club to teach anything like that.
1: And if you look at some of those old black and white photos, and you look at how those guys were training. They had a they had the answer to your question right there. Yeah. They had old guys training, they had young guys training. They didn't have this problem. And here how are we here in 2020 we have this problem. You know, where in the fifties and the forties they didn't have this problem.
0: Yeah, I believe me, I, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, I you know, I, I think with um and I was I was talking about this with somebody not that long ago that you know, a lot of people blame the IJF for the leg grab rule. And, and sure, they changed the rules. But nothing's really stopping the, the other judo organizations around the world. You know, that, that uh, I don't know if answer to the IJF is the right word. But, you know, development doesn't have to be a certain way. Like, you can have leg grabs at a national level. There's so few people that will ever... Leave their home country to compete. That I don't understand why we don't have a mixture of different types of rule sets with within judo. It doesn't make sense. I I know you know Steve Scott for example has you know he's been doing the freestyle judo uh, for for a very long time and he's he's been bold in stepping out uh, doing something like that. But he's really really the only one. But you, you know for for me, I think. Judo tournaments from from a national level and below to regionals and local. I don't see why they don't include leg grabs. I, I I really don't. I I don't know why the IGF rules have to trickle down, you know, all the way down to to the grassroots level. I I I think you there. I think clubs and organizations are doing judo a disservice in in that regard. And you alienate, you know, may, maybe some people that may like you said that that want to learn ankle picks or 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 double legs or at the very least feel more comfortable doing them within a judo setting.
1: I can't disagree with you and I'll tell you this. So wrestling, all right, in this country, folk style wrestling, collegiate wrestling, those two are the same. Wrestlers that wrestle from elementary to college, they do collegiate wrestling. Then when it's time for the Olympics, they pick, you're gonna do freestyle Greco. No one comes up as their primary wrestling being freestyle Greco. You do that in the off season of wrestling. OK. Right. So same thing with judo. OK, if you why not have an American judo where you can do judo, judo, leg, everything, just the judo I grew up with, the one that you grew up with. Right. Absolutely. Because the right. majority of the people last I checked, I, I did the nationals last last year. Right. And I almost grabbed a guy's leg. And in that tournament, I realized, who cares if I grab the leg? I'm not going to the Olympics.
0: Yeah, you know? right.
1: That's that's that's, that's done. Majority of the people, like you're saying, who are competing at the local, regional, whatever you call them, okay, they're not going to the Olympics. The guys who are going to the Olympics, they're not even competing in this country. They're overseas getting points because our tournaments here don't matter. I'll say it again, they don't matter. Right. It's time for American judoka to realize that. If you're competing, you know, uh, Colton Brown, he's not competing. He's not going to our nationals. None of our top players were at the nationals last year. Why? Right. Because they don't need to be there. There's not enough points for where they're trying to go. Our nationals ain't going to do a thing for a guy trying to make it to 2021 now. Okay?
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It I, doesn't I matter. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. So, so why, why follow the, excuse, the idea?
1: Exactly. Okay? We Here's the thing. We got to do something that's going to work for us. And that's, like I said, why I cross-train my kids. Because you know what? You never know how that's going to benefit them. But don't limit them.
0: You yeah, know?
1: yeah I, I no.
0: completely agree. I mean, it's like, yeah, I think I brought up this example before where it's like, you know, in the NBA, you know, they've got a 24 second shot clock, right? Have you ever seen a YMCA uh, um, adult pickup league with a 24 second shot clock? Exactly. You know, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I
1: agree. And I think, you know, people got to get over themselves. And it's a lot of, you know, well, this is just how we did it. I'm like, well, hold on. It's funny when people say that, right? Because anybody, I mean, what year did we start? We 2008 was it, or ten? When we really took out the leg rat? Yeah, okay. yeah. So 2010
0: 2000, was when they started yeah, making the changes. Yeah,
1: prior to that, if you have been doing judo before, that's not how you came up.
0: No, it that's know? not how I came and, up. Yeah.
1: And anybody who did judo prior to 2010, nine times out of ten, none of those are going to the Olympics. Okay.
0: If yeah, more you more than nine judo, times out of ten, it's more like and, right. Yeah.
1: If you If you were born in 2010, you might have a chance of going to the Olympics, you know? Right. But if you even started judo in 2010, you know, I mean, what? You got two max Olympics left, you know? So we just have to change the way we look at things, you know? And like I say, you got to let the new guys come in. Like we got Richie, he's doing... Phenomenal stuff. Phenomenal stuff, what he's doing at San Gabriel. And I know Richie, we used to train together. We're both now San Richie Fernando. Loses? Richie Endow. Okay. Great guy for judo. Great here in Southern California. Phenomenal. All right. Those guys are, you know, there will be an Olympian come out of his camp. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Okay. But it's younger guys looking opening their mind, doing things a little bit different. And with any organization, you have to let the next generation come and do it their way. You, I think we got to get out of the habit of saying, well, in my day, we did. Well, you know, that was your day. In your day, they didn't have this thing called the internet. You know, kids weren't, you weren't competing with a kid playing video games all day, you know, and then him whining because daddy drug him down here, you know, because he messed his leveling up or whatever
0: it's yeah, called. Yeah, Fortnite, you know? man.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's trying to learn the Fortnite dance, you know, it's. <laughs> you, you you can't compare these things. It's it's different. And I mean, right after this Corona thing, we're going to really see some changes. You think changes aren't going to have to be made after this?
0: Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, you know. <laughs>
1: we didn't even talk about that, you know. Uh,
0: so that's going to do it for part two of my interview with Tabron Lee or a conversation, not really an interview. And I think that's going to be a good segue into what I want to talk about with regards to the coronavirus and really judo and jiu-jitsu moving forward. I want to be real with you all for a moment and this is something that I have been thinking about for the past couple of weeks. I am very concerned about the future of judo, the future of Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, due to this pandemic and I think if you listen back to episode 73 and then compare them to the comments that I'm about to make on this episode, you're going to see a wildly varying opinion going from one end of the spectrum to the other. So if there's one thing that I have always strived to be on this podcast is very open with all of you and very transparent with my opinions. I never really have an agenda. I'm not looking to bring anybody down. I'm not looking to Sway opinions or whatever the case may be. I'm just sharing my opinion of the future of Judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu after this pandemic. Well, I don't even know if there's an after. And I think that's what I'm really trying to get at. And here's the thing. I don't know if there's ever going to be uh, a a normal the way that we're used to it. And I wish I could be optimistic. I don't think we're going to come back from this. At least not without a readily available test and without a readily available vaccine. And and here's the thing with the vaccine. I was discussing this with somebody on Reddit um, a, a while ago. The Olympics are going to be canceled again. I mean, you, you can bet on that. Sure, they've pushed it out a year. But I, I really don't see a scenario where the Olympics are going to be held a year from now because I'm not sure if there'll be a vaccine in time years ago i used to work for a clinical trials company as an it guy i was doing performance testing but i didn't really was involved in the medical aspect of it at all but it was a clinical trials company and the objective of that company was to assist doctors with uh, with a technology that allowed them to uh, for for lack of a better term they they would keep track of their clinical trials and the end hope was that clinical trials would would be Done faster, So instead of it taking five years for a clinical trial to be over, it would be would take like two and a half years. I don't know much about the clinical trials these days because that when I worked at that job, that was that was 20 years ago. And I don't know what the laws are in place with regards to clinical trials. But I can tell you this much. It takes more than a month or two to conduct a proper clinical trial. So if there's a new vaccine created, it's going to take a year or so. Uh, at least before those vaccines are ready and and again, I don't know the laws behind that, but I knew I do know that it doesn't take a few months for a vaccine to be ready for mass production and for everybody to receive because you know when it well look, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you this much when it comes to testing medicine you you, you have to account for the negative things that can happen to a human body with with such a vaccine. I mean you, you just don't know. And without a vaccine readily available to the rest of the world, I I don't know how Japan can host an Olympic event and bring millions of people uh from from all over the world to Tokyo without a vaccine. And the thing is is that how things stand right now, there just isn't enough information about this this pandemic, um, and about the coronavirus. There's there's not enough information for really for governments to make determination when the quote-unquote open up. And I don't know about uh, my listeners around the rest of the world, but in the United States, there are uh, a number of people, and that those numbers are increasing by the day, where they are protesting the government over an infringement of their civil rights and liberties. And let me be clear, it is not my intent to become political on this episode. That's not my deal. But this country is run on small business And the government has essentially shut down most people's abilities to run their small business. And most small businesses are not designed to survive a shutdown that lasts many months. Now, I'm not talking about the small businesses that have, you know, maybe 150 employees and maybe make, you know, 10 to 12 million in annual revenues. I mean, that that counts as small business. Don't get me wrong, but I'm talking about the really small business, the individual club owner. You know, for all of you that complain out there about the high prices of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and some Judo clubs, why don't you try running a business and finding out for yourself how much it really costs to run a business? Because it's a lot of money. And I tell you what, it's going to cost these business owners a lot more money to stay in business because there's probably going to be new guidelines in place for how clubs like judo and, and you know brazilian jiu-jitsu and other martial arts clubs there there has to be new guidelines on how things are operated new requirements new regulations because it's it's not going to be the same anymore when the government decides hey you know you can open up your business and that's the pressure that these governors are facing right now with these protests you have a lot of people demanding hey you got to open up because I can't pay my rent. I can't pay my mortgage. I can't pay the electric bill. And these grievances are fair. And the stimulus money that's being sent out to to individuals and stuff, yeah, that's fine for like a month. But that's not going to cut it uh, for most businesses. You know, and here's the issue that I'm facing. I said, uh, uh, you know, back in you know early February, I think for episode 73, when I first talked about the coronavirus, 73 or 74, I can't remember. But I said I wouldn't even think about canceling my club membership, you know, unless things um, extended three months or more out. Well, right now we're in month three and I'm not canceling my membership yet because I'm trying to to determine for myself whether or not it is in my best interest to continue going to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu or judo club. And for me, I'm not young. You know, I don't have this YOLO mentality where you know I'm not going to worry about a thing. And you know, as some of you guys know, I had a brother that passed away four or five years ago. I really can't allow myself to get sick and have my parents go through that again. And to be clear, what I mean by getting sick, I mean being put in on a ventilator because um, that's what happened to my brother. It's not a pleasant thing for a parent to go through. And in my situation, it's not just my parents; it's my wife and 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 my children. I mean, I can't I can't put them through that, you know. And as a parent, you—if know, I had a child in judo or or Brazilian jiu jitsu, I would think long and hard about bringing my own children uh, into a judo or jiu jitsu club without new standards and new safety procedures and new really everything in place. You know, a parent may decide, you know, judo is just too close of a contact sport uh, for my child to be a part in, but maybe I can put him into skiing or tennis or gymnastics or, or something where the contact with your opponent isn't so close. From mom and dad's point of view, there it would be like, well, you know, they can still get all the benefits from sport, Stay fit, stay active, participate in something, have accomplishment, and still be safe while doing it. And by the way, now that I think about it, this isn't really limited to martial arts at all. The same could be said to uh, public schools. Uh, you know, my kids go to a public school with over over 3,000 students. There's a lot of cities in the United States. Uh, that have even more students than that. And that's that's just a single high school. So I, And I don't know what other countries are like when it comes to education, or I should say public education. But, you know, in, in, in big cities, you have that many students in, in a single school. So really, every, every concern that I have uh, or, or what parents, what I would venture to guess parents would have for their children in martial arts, the same could be said for schools. And I have a son starting his senior or will be starting his senior year in high school in in August. And I'm not 100% sure how comfortable I am uh, with him going to that school. So when I think about how things were and how things are now and what my concerns may be, you know, until there's a vaccine or a readily available test, I, I might be done with going to clubs. doesn't mean I'm done with practicing judo. It doesn't mean that I'd be done... Um, you know, watching judo or covering the podcast, but I've got real concerns, you know, and I've I've asked a couple of sensei uh, of of, uh, that owned clubs, and I've asked them what they would do um, moving forward in this new normal that we're going to be facing, and some of them have said, you know, they may have a requirement like you must shower at the club before and after every class. Well, guess what? A lot of judo clubs out there, a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu clubs out there do not have locker rooms and showers, not, not to accommodate the amount of students that they have. So it's my understanding in other countries, judo clubs are typically run out of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, government-owned buildings. And what I mean by government-owned, I'm talking about, think of a, like a, you know, for those in the United States, like a rec center or, or, or kind of like a YMCA, except it's owned by the local government. Well, those facilities um, tend to have a lot of showers to accommodate the amount of people that use those facilities, and, and, a, and a judo club might be one of them. Those types of clubs may be able to survive this. So uh, a judo club ran out of the YMCA, they could survive this. But for me, I have never personally trained at a judo club that was not in a YMCA, that had those kind of facilities. And I I just don't know. Again, I don't know what things are going to be like now. I'm going to be getting an antibody test. To see if I ever had the coronavirus. Now, personally, I think I might have. So maybe I have the antibody tests. And, and maybe I was, you know, when I was sick back in December. That's really what it was. And maybe I've gotten immunity to it now. And and maybe I can donate my blood to, to to save people's lives, or whatever the case may be, or the plasma, whatever. I I don't know the medical terms, but I might be feel differently about all of this if it shows that I've had this virus. But if I've not been exposed to it, and I'm you know seeing the reports of people how they have um, been impacted by this, and I know, I know a lot of times. You know, when it comes to science, when it comes to the medical field or and and politics in general, people will sway, you know, use different stats and measurements and numbers and this and that to push an agenda. You know, whether it's an agenda to open up early because most people had it and there's nothing to worry about or an agenda where people, you there's some people out there that want to see the American economy uh, economy go down in ruins. And they may not say that out loud, but I know there's people out there that want to see that. So that uh, moving forward, there are new policies in place that promote a different-looking safety net for the most vulnerable people out there, kind of like the New Deal. I, I like, you know, after the Great Depression in in 1929, years later, you know, we had uh, what's called the New Deal. Well, I, I think there's going to be a new New Deal moving forward after this whole thing, or at least that's what people want to see. Again, my point is not to to debate the politics, but again, there's going to be a new normal, and we don't know what that looks like yet. And until we do, I don't know how really anybody could feel comfortable going back to their uh, judo and jujitsu clubs where they're exposed to people that they may not know. I, you know, let's say I make that decision to go back and train with the people that I that that I love training with. Well, you know, before this whole thing. You know, if a new guy showed up at a judo class, I'd be the first person to, you know, shake their hands, you know, welcome it in. You know, here, let me let me teach you this basic throw here. Come here, get close, this and that. <laughs> I'm not going to be doing that anymore. I mean, if you're a new guy and, and I don't know you, I don't know if you've been sick. I don't know if you are sick. I don't know what kind of hygiene habits you have. I, I mean, I've I've seen some people at my own club where their hygiene habits are... Frightening, if I'm being honest. Now I'm aware of a few club owners that are looking to open their doors as soon as, uh, as May 4th, which probably by the time most of you listen to this episode will already be past May 4th. And, you know, I haven't seen too many guidelines on what club owners will be doing. I have seen a few. I know uh, Josh Lehman, who's a sensei at uh, Jefferson City Judo Club in uh, Jefferson City, Missouri, um, is going to have some... Updated guidelines with how they're going to practice out in Missouri. I guess in Missouri, um, they're going to be, ob- be able to open up on May 4th. And um, for his requirements, he can't have more than 20 people be inside of the dojo. Um, everybody entering the dojo is going to have their temperature checked. Uh, every student's got to wash their hands before and after class. Uh, no one's allowed to be on the mat uh, 15 minutes uh, or later, you know, than the class starts. Students now must uh, store their personal items or clothing in a bag. Uh, the water fountain will be closed, and students need to bring their own water bottles. So, that's an example of of a particular club uh, taking extra measures. I spoke with uh, Samson Sampson, who runs the Sobel Judo Club out in London, and and he's taking similar measures. Uh, he's got the facilities where. His students can take a shower at the facility, so he'll be requiring showers before and after class. I mean, I would venture to guess all clubs at this point are going to disinfect them, their mats uh, several times a day as opposed to maybe, you know, maybe at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day or something along those lines. I would think between every class they're going to do that. You know, and on top of all of these guidelines, I, I write an interesting article by Chris Round, and Chris was a guest of mine uh, a couple of years ago on the podcast and I was recently a guest of his on a live stream uh, breaking down matches. Um, well, he, he was doing most of the breaking down. I was asking the questions, but he wrote an interesting article on on medium.com and I'll, I'll sum it up. I, I, and this is really applies to uh, the the uh, folks in the United States, but I, I believe in principle this applies everywhere in the free world. So uh, he suggests calling your local uh, uh, representatives in politics and and expressing your concerns about how you know these changes are impacting your club. And he was very specific on on not emailing or, or reaching out on Twitter by, but by literally calling them and I think that's a good idea. I know a, a lot of younger folks out there aren't really <laughs> used to picking up the fall, phone and having a conversation, but I do think that's important you know and Chris also su- suggests that when you actually talk to your representatives you can you know ask them about moratoriums on evictions and utility shutoffs you can advocate that if there are you know programs out there that help small businesses that they that your representative supports them and you know something else that he he brought to attention too is uh it's really important to reach out to your to the local press and i've 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 um, well, I've reached out to the local press in the past on a personal matter and, and that there's there's at least in the United States is a real power of the press, power of the press. And, y- you know, reaching out to the local press and, and telling them about your situation, you know, if they, they get a story written about you and your club and, and the hardships that you're facing, that that can ultimately put pressure on local leaders and, and, and you know, at least in, in the United States case, uh, state leaders to start making changes. And you know, one of the other things that he suggests in his article too is is um, you know working with your landlord or your bank and continuing to engage with your students, which I think is a big deal. I know I'm not one for doing Zoom workouts, but a lot of people are, and if they are paying members, I I think it's important to offer some kind of service or at least be engaging with your students. You know, I've seen some suggestions out there that, for example. If your students have been faithfully paying their dues, but, you know, they've been out of the club for two months, but they're still faithfully paying and will continue to pay. You know, maybe you offer private lessons when this whole thing is over or or some kind of credit at the end of the month or or end of the year or, or something like that. So in the show notes, I'll, I'll link the uh, I'll link. Chris's article in my show notes so you guys can take a look at that I think it's I think this is a good start and it's a it's a it's going to be a living document so it appears that Chris is going to be editing this um, as time goes on all right so full disclosure here I am breaking into um, what was already a previously recorded podcast this thing was ready to ship out ready to be uploaded to my 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 host and I got some pretty good pretty interesting news with regards to my club, my home club Ebor City Jiu-Jitsu, and I'm sharing this specifically with all of you because I think this is really interesting in the way that my club is going about reopening. And in and in my opinion, I think that when it comes to the small individual private clubs that um may not have the most ideal facilities compared to you, you know, like, let's say a rec center, or like I was talking about earlier, a YMCA with multiple showers and that kind of thing. I think this is good. So what I want to talk about is, is a message that I just received that I think it's important for all club owners out there that may have a similar club as to mine, uh, to kind of keep in mind when it comes to reopening. So I won't bore you with the actual club message to its members, but I did want to share the, um, the club's uh, post quarantine procedures and how they're going to roll this out, and I, I think this is really interesting because they're going to break this up into into six phases. And I guess the source of this, maybe some of you jujitsu guys have already heard this um, from the Grapple Arts podcast with Dr. Chris Moriarty. And um, for those that don't know, that's the podcast of uh, done by Stefan Kesting, who's just a, a, a wonderful human being, a, a great jujitsu guy. Um, so I, I guess this was from his page, but the club is going to roll out these procedures as well. Um, phase one, uh, preparing to open and some of the things that they're going to do for phase one is develop solo drill, uh, uh, develop a solo drill schedule and an eight by eight drill area for a super small class. Now how they're going to arrange that class. I, I, I don't know as of yet, like who? Who gets on, who gets off. I I don't know how that's going to be. Phase two, it's going to be instructor-led solo drills. And that's going to be a daily class with screening and temperature checks. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, Jefferson City Judo Club is doing something similar. I think a lot of clubs that are looking to open up as soon as possible will be doing temperature checks on everybody that walks through that door. And I think that's a good thing. For phase three, it's going to be partner drills and sparring. And that's going to be on a limited attendance. And again, I don't know how they're going to break that out. Um, Phase four, they're going to have a 50% class capacity. And now this is where it gets really interesting to me because what they're going to do, you can't get weak or we as a club cannot get to phase four until there are no new uh COVID cases in Tampa for two weeks. Now, in order for the club to get to, to phase five, there can't be any new COVID uh cases for four weeks. And um at that point it, it says here vulnerable people may uh return. And then there's a phase six uh including healthcare workers. Now this is now I, I know it came from Stefan's uh podcast, but this is by far the most comprehensive rollout approach that I have seen are going in phases. And I I just think that's a fantastic idea because I I don't, you know, if the club just opened up its doors and said, hey, we're ready to go back to training. Come on back. Welcome. You know, welcome back. Everything I just said in the past 20 minutes or so um, would have is is would have been a concern of mine. But now seeing this this information put out by the club, um, this is an excellent rollout plan, and really everything that I've said about my concerns over the uh, over the past twenty minutes, they, my concerns are alleviated quite a bit because I know there's a, a plan in place, and I think, you know, again, what a wonderful it, this is a great rollout plan, and I think it should apply to to judo as well. I I think, you, you know. If this plan was uh, brought up or, or created by Dr. Chris Moriarty, well, well kudos to him because I, I think this is a great plan. And if you put this in front of your local leaders and you know emailing your rep or, or calling your representatives saying that this is going to be your plan and, and things like that, we may see um, the individual club owners and and people that run gyms get back to you know get back to opening their doors faster. Now it should be said that this post quarantine procedures can only apply when when the governor of Florida uh opens up the state for clubs like uh you know gyms and things like that. And speaking of gyms, I just found out today that uh that Gold's Gym had to ch- file for chapter 11 bankruptcy. And I I just think that's a shame. It's it's very telling when such a large well-known established uh Jim is forced to close its doors, or at least restructure under a Chapter Eleven protection. And you know, I'm kind of, you, you know, I've heard from people of jujitsu cl- uh, clubs having the uh, being forced to close left and right. And you know, I'm I'm hesitantly waiting, and I'm not rooting for it, obviously, but I'm hesitating waiting to hear the news of some major. You know, jujitsu or judo club having to close its doors because of this thing. I mean, that would just be terrible. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, you know, something like American top team going bankrupt, I, that would just be awful. So regardless of that, you know, I, I think this is a fantastic plan and I highly recommend, you know, maybe you reach out to Stefan Kesting on his, on his Twitter or his Instagram, or, or maybe you can reach out directly to Dr. Chris Moriarty if you want to get more information on this but this is this is a great start and i i'd like to thank Ybor city jiu jitsu club for being in contact with its members and putting out a a comprehensive plan like this all right i think i'm going to wrap things up here for this episode i uh who knows when i come back in 2 weeks or so i, I may have a radically different opinion uh with regards to the coronavirus and and whether or not I'll go back to training right now, I'm you, you know I'm still sh- sheltering in place. I know my local county is going to be opening up things, uh, come uh, May fourth, which by the time you guys hear this again, you, you know it'll already be past that. But um, I'm still going to be practicing, uh, you know, safety measures for for my own sake, and um, I'll still be working remotely, which I love doing. And we'll see how it goes. I, I, you know, maybe I'll feel differently in two weeks. I think, yeah, I, I, think there's going to be another surge, and um, and I'm I'm just hoping that when that surge happens, and I do believe it's going to be a when, that by then we'll have far more information about this this virus, and that uh, you know our nations across the world will be better prepared to handle it. So anyway, I'm gonna cut things off here. I'll have my after party in just a second. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Stay healthy, stay safe out there, and until next time, I'm out. Opan Gangnam Star. Style. Gangnam Star. Style. after party starts in 15 All right, minutes so the after party i um i haven't i haven't been watching too much shows lately uh i i started getting into a show called the wire which is pretty good actually it's really good um it's uh it's been recommended to me over the years by some friends uh, uh recently a facebook friend a, a colleague uh sensei fred lewis had suggested uh or made reference to the wire in one of his facebook posts so then i asked him about it and he said it's it's like 98 percent accurate in what it's like being a police officer so i felt like i had to watch it because i do like cop shows but i never really know if these cop shows are really portraying uh police work accurately so i i guess this one really does and and granted it's an older show so i, I think it came out in 2002 so it's really funny to see police workstations, you know, when they're at their desk and they're still using typewriters. <laughs> I thought that was like, what? What happened here? I mean, didn't they? I, they had computers in two thousand two. What the heck happened? Um, you know, especially a city like Baltimore, you would think that they'd be on the cutting edge, not like, uh, you know, Mayberry RFD or something. So, but yeah, the Wire, fantastic show. I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. Um, what else? Oh. On the video game front, I decided to reinstall Grand Theft Auto V just for fun. I've already beaten the main story, and each character that I. Each of the main characters on there has uh, over $500 million. So it's fun getting back into Los Santos, which is really Los Angeles, and um, just driving around, running into people, running into cars. You shooting out tires and, and doing all, creating all sorts of mayhem. It's really, it's really a fun game. And some of the, I'm really starting to appreciate some of the nuances of that game. Like, um, uh, like, uh, like uh, playing as Franklin. Uh, he he walks into a gun shop, and the gun owner just says, "Uh oh, looks like somebody's getting ready for a drive-by." <laughs> it's like just the, just the littlest things the littlest details I just thought was hilarious and um so I've been playing that I'm still playing Red Dead Redemption 2. I've gotten into playing this strategy game called uh, Crusader Kings 2 it was free to download so I try I, I decided to download it on my laptop and um, what a frustrating game it's it, I'm enjoying it but I'm being frustrated all at the same time because it's got the most confusing interface and the premise of it is that you you start off as a kingdom um as, as a legitimate kingdom as a, as a, playing a legitimate king or or a duke or whoever the case may be so for example i can play you know king philippe as uh, of france in the mid i don't know whenever he existed um and then you can make all the decisions to raid other countries to raise taxes to 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 marry people, to betroth others, and things like that. It's it's an interesting game. I've been really interested in more strategy type games, and and this one uh, this one's a lot of fun. I'm I'm enjoying it, but I am getting frustrated. the the the, the gameplay and and the instructions in the game is really, really, really terrible. But um, I'm going through the tutorial and and all of that, and it, it's I'm enjoying it. Not as much as Grand Theft Auto Five, but um, but, yeah, I'm enjoying it nonetheless, and I'm still playing Red Dead Redemption 2. That's, that's always a good one, but I, now I've gotten back to to Grand Theft Auto because, like I said, I just, I just like boosting cars and, and running through stoplights and, and running into buses and seeing what happens to my character as I go through the window, do they live or die, that kind of thing. So just just really crazy. <laughs> Those of you that's played Grand Theft Auto Five know exactly what I'm talking about. So did uh, did any of you guys watch the NFL draft? Wasn't that really (laughs) what a really bizarre, especially the the first round took way too long. I I think they got through three picks in the first hour. It it was just it was really bizarre. I I don't I there were parts of it that I liked and and other parts that I didn't like. I I, Roger Goodell looked so wooden uh, on camera. I mean worse than that worse than ever before. It was just they I mean the NFL did as good a job as they could, but it was really poorly produced. Like they were there were times when the camera would cut too early and you see Roger Goodell like messing with his hair and um you know, he's talking he's obviously talking to somebody behind the camera and he's like are we good uh, you know should I start talking now and uh, he they didn't realize that he was live so it was just kind of it's just kind of weird you know seeing um when the magic of television doesn't work uh, it doesn't look so magical it just looks <laughs> very <laughs> disoriented i w- i was uh I was half expecting to see Roger Goodell uh you know cursing somebody out or or screaming at them we'll do it live you know something like that yeah, you know, so um, so yeah, NFL draft was pretty crazy. My team, the Bucks, got um, got their guy. They got a great pick. Um, and we um, for those of you that that don't follow NFL football, we are, my team got the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. So I'm very happy about that. But still, you know, as a beaten down Bucks fan. I'm half expecting uh, Tom Brady to to tear his Achilles tendon on the first play of the game. I seriously am, and that's just how the season's gonna go. And then Blaine Gabbert's gonna come in, and then we'll go two and fourteen as a team. And Rob Gronkowski will retire, and Bruce Arians will lose his job, and Jameis Winston will somehow become the starter of the New Orleans Saints and um and and beat the Bucks on their own field. That that's how. That is my expectation for this Bucks season. I hope they make the playoffs. I love my team, but I, I've been kicked in the proverbial groin uh, so many times by this team that I, I just I really expect the worst. But if Brady doesn't get injured, I, I do fully expect a playoff run. I don't think the Bucks are stronger than the San Francisco 49ers, which just are, um, can't believe that team. That That team got stronger so did the so did the chiefs but that but the 49ers I, I don't see a team in the in in the nfc beating them even my bucks that that currently have the greatest quarterback and greatest tight end in nfl history i don't think that's going to be enough to overcome the uh the 49ers but we'll see 49ers don't ha- really have great receivers and the bucks have the uh greatest receivers uh at least duo in the nfl at least as, as far as i'm concerned and you know what i'm not even sure if we're going to have an nfl season I hope we do, but uh, I'm probably not going to be able to go to a game this year, which is really unfortunate. But, you know, again, you know, coronavirus, y'all. Oh, um, something else on the television front, which was really interesting because it was somewhat related to podcasting. There's this Apple TV show called Truth Be Told, and I thought it was really good. I don't I don't really want to give it away. It stars um, some actress that I'm not familiar with and Aaron Paul uh who is from Breaking Bad. And it was a really good show. I enjoyed it. I don't know why it got such poor reviews on uh Rotten Tomatoes, but I I really enjoyed the heck out of it. And what I thought was really interesting is that the main the the, the star of the show, uh, the, the leading lady, she she's an investigative journalist turned podcaster. And what I thought was really interesting is is how they they showed podcast prep on the show, now in, in her show, on the show, um, she's got like millions of listeners. I, I don't have anywhere near that amount. But I thought what was interesting is that all the things that I've taught myself through trial and error um, and, and learned in terms of sh- uh, podcast show prep and everything like that, it's literally exactly what she does on the show except the only difference is that I use um, – you know Google Docs, and I save my documents online. Where she actually uses like storyboards on like on a on a board and puts pictures up and links them all together, like she's a police officer or something, like working a suspect board. But other than that, other, other than using an actual board, the way that they prepared for the show and research and things like that is very similar to what I do. Um, it, it was it was kind of refreshing to know that. After all my trials and errors over the years, it looks like I'm I'm doing the right thing more or less. So, good show, truth be told. I I, I recommend it. It's only 8 episodes. They're going to renew for a season 2. Um So, yeah, so for the time being until you know one of my other shows comes up, I'm I'm going to be watching The Wire like I said earlier. I'm I'm waiting for a Succession, I'm waiting for Yellowstone. I don't know if there's going to be another Stranger Things this year. Um, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens with movie theaters. I was really hoping for the Black Widow movie uh to come out. Uh it would be coming out normally in May. I think it was slated for May, but I'm really hoping that there come you know, a, a streaming option happens. Maybe they do it by IP address. They recognize your IP address and you know, you have to spend I don't know, whatever, $30 a movie for your family. Uh and you only get you, you get like to view it like two or three times before it's taken out of the queue, like that kind of technology would be really cool. I, I'm sure the movie industry wouldn't go for it because that'll effectively put theaters out of business. And I do like going to the theaters, but I also don't don't want to wait till November or September or whatever. Excuse me to to watch, um, you know, you, you know, to watch a movie in the theater. And I just said excuse me because I just, I just burped, but I, I muted the microphone so you guys had no idea what I was saying excuse me for. All right, I think that's going to do it for the after party. Take care, everybody.